I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to this week's Fail Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman, joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Callum Petch. Hello. As we take a look through the last week or so in the film, um, taking in new releases such as The Man from Uncle and Trainwreck, as well as a triple bill looking at our favourite or worst three movies set in a place of learning. We'll explain why later. Um, start off with the quiz, though where I won last week, and mm-hmm. I, against the run of form, or against the grain, I made Owen watch a good film, uh, which was Next Goal Wins, uh, the documentary on the American Samoan national football team. It wasn't great, though, was it? I was really um, underwhelmed by it. Really? I thought it would be. I thought it would be a brilliant sort of, you know, triumphant sports documentary about this team, and... It kind of, it kind of is, but I don't know. It didn't really. I wasn't into it. I just kind of felt a bit bored, and it awesome. was all a bit trite and predictable. And I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I, I wasn't. I wasn't hugely into it. I, I, it was quite nice of you to pick a decent film for a change. Um, I, I like how this has backfired again as well. Like we tried pick like the last two times <laughs> we tried picking. Nice films we think the person will enjoy, and then they just don't like it that much. Apparently, this is literally a no-win situation. Yeah. I, I don't know why I bother, Callum. <laughs> I mean, I, I love this film, and I was obviously yeah. doing doing interviews with goalkeepers and directors when the film came out, and and everything. And James has seen it as well, um, and and loved it. And, and I mean, a lot of people I know really like it, whether they're football fans or relevant of their opinion on football. Um, have really enjoyed this, but uh... I think it's quite good in that sort of progressive way where it's not just a, a football documentary about football. It's about sort of the people, the culture, what they're doing, what they're doing, all that kind of thing. It's, it's quite great, and there are some very interesting characters within the group that they um, document. The coach, who whose name is escaping me, but he he seems like quite an interesting fellow, and I wanted to see more about him. Um, but at times it just quite, it came across a bit like uh, Britain's Got Talent or something where they just insert this soppy story and play some sad music in the background and they just have the camera on him until he sort of wells up. And I just thought, hmm, it seems very manipulative. I, w- I could have, I, you know, you could have gotten across what he was like as a person without resorting to to that. But, you know, there were, there were things I liked about it. I thought it was great how... Um, they covered the whole Nicky Salopo, the, the goalkeeper, 
his story. So he had another interesting story about being the, the goalkeeper who, who conceded the 31 goals against Australia and how he just wanted to get back into football and have a sort of revenge grudge match against Australia and how it's not really worked for him. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It it was... It was more interesting in concept than it was as an actual documentary, I thought. Okay, fair enough. Um, what do you think will happen if you win the quiz this time round? I think I've got to return the favour, haven't I? You don't have to. And try and... No, I don't have to. Is that you? Okay, brilliant. I won't. That's you just wait with me. I just go, sod it, fine, whatever, do yeah. bad movies. No, I think I had a plan for what I was going to give you last week if I had won. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to stick with that plan. Because I also wasn't going to give you an awful movie. Okay. But I, th- but I, I had a positive influence on this podcast. Yes, yeah. A lasting positive influence that means from now on, we might not just resort to the lowest level film that we can find. Mainly because you hit the bottom barrel and you can't go much further than that. True. <laughs> we can't just keep passing Kill Keith back and forth. It's, it's done. Or that screener. <laughs> or that screener. No. I've not been made to watch that. No, I don't think anyone else braved it, to be honest. I have better things to do with my life, like go watch fucking The Bad Education movie. So Exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, I saw the trailer for that and just thought, how is that a thing? I don't know. I it, have no idea. It's like, it's, like, it's like English TV saw the Inbetweeners movie and thought, right, everything needs to be made into a, TV, uh, a movie now. Yeah, no, like I said, like, the Inventories movie makes sense, because that was, like, a full-on phenomenon, and you could make a movie, but who actually fucking watches The ba- Bad Education? I've watched one episode, not, and it was rubbish. It, yeah, it's not even the best Jack Whitehall sitcom on television. Which is? Fresh Meat. Fresh Meat, yeah. Have you people not watched Fresh Meat? I've seen it. it, it it's not, it's not bad. It's perfect. It's perfectly fine. It's not the, the yeah. greatest sitcom it's at least better than bad education, but we're going to get a bad education movie because apparently the art form of comedy has not suffered enough this year, <laughs> as we'll discover when we head into reviews. But let's move on. The yeah. only shock is that it's not a Christmas movie. It's not coming out at Christmas and set at Christmas. No, yes. we're getting a Seth Rogen one instead. Oh, great. Anyway, we'll have more about uh, TV movies in the uh, news section coming up. Will we? Uh, yes, briefly. <laughs> Very briefly. We sent that on the agenda. Um, yeah. Quiz time then, Owen. Do some quizzing. Okay, so because our triple bill this week is uh, about films set in uh, a learning environment, so it could be school, university, college, whatever, preschool, I guess. You're not going to um, try and make me learn something, are you? Yeah, I've got a, a half an hour lecture on astrophysics. I hope you've prepared. Everything I learned from Wet Hot American Summer, I'm going to just <laughs> repeat back to you. No, um, actually, what I've done is a quiz about actors who've played teenagers, but were in fact a lot older than the characters they were playing. Right. Is one of them James Van Der Beek? No, <laughs> but what you've got to do, what you've got to do is guess the age of the actress or actor when they were playing that character. Oh, okay, okay then. So... Closest to, to the number wins, and we'll do um, best of three, okay? So we're, not, so we're not doing Price is Right rules where it's closest without going over? No, no. We'll just keep it simple. And it's whoever's closest um, wins, basically. Okay. So, first question, uh, I'll pass to you, Steve. I think you can go first. Uh, in Clueless, the character Dion was 17 years old 
But how old was Stacey Dash, the actress playing her? 31. Callum? I think I remember reading it's like 26. She was 28. Okay, Callum. Point. So, (laughs) moving on. In Catch Me If You Can, Callum, the character Leonardo DiCaprio played was just 16 years old at the start of the movie. But how old was Leo during recording? Want to guess 27. Okay, Steve? 30. He was 28. So, two points to Callum. Okay. So we've got... So Steve's playing for pride now, basically. Yeah, well, we've got, I've got four more questions and a tiebreaker. We'll was play it, those. Was it first of three or best of three? Um, we can do first of three. I think it's good. Oh, okay, there we go. Yes. Are we open? Come on, questions. Uh, so, Steve, your turn. Yeah. How old was Alan Rook when portraying a high schooler in Ferris Bueller's Day Off? He was 24. Okay, Callum? I'm going to go 25. <laughs> he was 30. So... It's <laughs> <laughs> by guessing one number higher. I fucking won dollars that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just out of interest, uh, Roderick was 26 in that film. And they were meant to be the same age. So... They were both oh, oh, 16, I think, supposedly. But anyway, there you go. Callum's whitewashed it. I'm a dick. Yes. Yeah. My next questions were going to be Henry Winkler when he started playing the Fonz and then Henry Winker, Winkler when he finished playing the Fonz. <laughs> and was he about 40 when he finished playing the Fonz? He was 39 when he finished playing the Fonz. Yeah, and all, through, all through the 10 seasons of Happy Days. Um, and how old was the Fonz? They were in high you... school. So, what? Didn't change. It had the sort of Simpsons effect. They were but, all the, but, but with Simpsons. real life people. With real life people. Yeah. <laughs> So um, something that only works with animation they tried in real life. <laughs> yeah, before animation was, yeah, for adults as well. It was just a pff, 10 years of Henry Winkler as high school age, the Fonz. But then didn't Richie have a brother who went upstairs at the end of the first season and no one ever saw him again? They like, <laughs> forgot he existed. The, I can't remember. That sounds like a rumour I've heard, though. Yeah. The final question I was going to say, we might as well just have this as well. In the very first season of Beverly Hills 90210, how old was Luke Perry? 35. <laughs> he was actually 24. <laughs> he was surprisingly a lot younger than, than I thought he would be. But there you go. That's the quiz over. Callum wins. Ergo, I win and Steve loses. Yes, that is how this works. Uh, on to the news. Um, where probably the biggest news this week, or undoubtedly the biggest news, unless you're... Um, disinterested in Star Wars is that uh, the director for Star Wars Episode 9 has been announced also some news on the first standalone uh, Star Wars film Rogue One uh, in terms of casting as well mm-hmm. yeah Colin Trevorrow is going to direct Star Wars 9 um, this is weird is this weird to anyone else like, like is this news like we're already <laughs> revealing the director of a film two sequels ahead now but will be yeah. at least six years away like, is this weird to anybody else? It's sort of becoming the norm, though, isn't it? If you look at, like... For yeah. franchises, it is, yeah. Mm. Mm. And, in, but... and in some of some of these franchises, who's directing the film is also as almost as big as who's going to star in it. 
when you're looking at kind of Marvel yeah. and, and now Star Wars, the director's got as much weight as as who's going to be the kind of central character. Although, uh, you know, Colin Trevorrow and Rian Johnson, who's going to do episode eight, then they haven't got the pulling power of someone like J.J. Abrams, I don't think. Not yet, anyway. You know, I but... don't think people will will see... Jurassic World because Colin Trevorrow's there and they won't see Star Wars 9 because Colin Trevorrow's directing it. Which is probably the genius thing about it. Like, cause like, mm. back in the, like back in the day you'd have, you know, small indie directors who make small tiny films and be given the reins of 40 to 50 million dollar films like to make a name for it before being given reins to big blockbusters. Nowadays they just pluck, pluck them straight out of Sundance. Yeah. And yeah. then, you know, give them a chance to sink or swim. Um, but of course in this case well it's also kind of really clever because then you don't have to worry about Authorship kind of thing, just to kind of get the film in on time. But then also, in this case as well, I guess Disney get to happily fly the flag of India if they want to, of go also from a director of Jurassic World. Although you don't need to because it's Star Wars and Star Wars is going to make all the money anyway. Yeah. We are going to need new fucking metrics to count how much Star Wars (laughs) The Force Awakens makes. It's going to be absolutely ridiculous. And they're releasing peanuts three days afterwards. God damn it. That's not going to do well. So you it, don't say. You don't say. <laughs> yeah. And there's lots of been some casting news for Rogue One as well, hasn't there? Yep. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen, Alan Tudyk, and Donnie Yen, which means I now have to pay attention to Star Wars. God damn it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great cast, though. And it, and it does oh, sound it like a, it does sound like a good, an interesting plot for a for a Star Wars film. Um, it's obviously for those who don't know the plans. Uh, the 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 plot to steal the plans for the first Death Star for the Rebels. Um, and it's also got a female lead as well, if I remember as well, so there's another reason I have to pay attention. I'm sad Hannibal got cancelled. Yep. And onto the TV going into movie news, the Dad's Army movie trailer came out this week. Looked really boring. <laughs> it looks just a bit standard. It, but it, it seemed, it looked you know. boring. It didn't look like whether you like Dad's Army or not, whether you find it funny or not, the the the, the trailer just seemed boring. It didn't seem like there was anything happening. It didn't seem like there was, so was it Was it trying to be funny or was it just like a drama kind of thing? So I'm worried they're going to try and go for a drama route with it. I think it's a co- it's a Nate Wright comedy, isn't it? There might be a bit of like Black Adder style levity to it, but I think yeah. mainly it's just going to be gag reel stuff you was know it, was, it, but, was it brian last week who made a joke about them doing the uh, card playing scene from inglorious bastards ending with yeah. tell him your name pike <laughs> which would be fantastic it, yeah um, but yeah i mean uh, i've got to hold my hands up i'm not a massive fan of the, the original series no. my dad absolutely loves it he you know one of his favorite shows of all time so i've seen quite a few episodes and i kind of get why it's popular with a certain generation but it, it just, I don't know, I've, I've never found it, it that funny. It's a film for the Blue Rinch Brigade, isn't it? Blue <laughs> Brigade, yeah, to put it unpolitely. Um, but so, I think it's so, got a good so cast. not listening to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, probably not, unless um, Paul and James are paying attention. And Brooker, this week, in his, his review of Man From U.N.C.L.E. on the website, you, started you... calling himself old. Yeah, not for us whippersnappers. No. no. The... But the, the cast for the film's quite good. I think Toby Jones is uh, looks fantastic as um, Captain Mannering. Oh, the, the cast is fantastic. It's a really good, yeah. strong cast. Um, yeah. It's just not going to be very good, I don't think. I, I've, mm. I've also learned to not trust great cast delivering outstanding films after Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy disappointed me. So, 
I really liked that film. I thought that was. Great. I found and... it boring as heck. Yeah. And I really try. I really try, but I guess like I have the same thing with the most wanted man as well. So I'm just guessing John Le Carre mm. stuff just isn't for me. Like I find it yeah. too too cold, like too cold, too distant for my liking. Yeah. But, hey. yeah. Oh, and finally for the news, um, there has been an announcement that Toy Story Four is going to be made, and it's going to be a a rom com of sorts. Um, uh, uh, sorry, I have to interject. They've announced Toy Story Four will be happening for the last year. Um, they've just finally told us what it's about. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, I just have to get sniffy because I already got very angry when it was first announced anyway. So, But it seems like uh, Pixar's becoming a bit of a sequel factory at the moment. This doesn't need to happen. You don't need to do Toy Story 4. Stop it. Stop it now. Haven't they, Go away. Haven't they got a rule now, though, where they'll do one sequel a year and one... Well, no, original film, or is that just... Oh, is that's that it. DreamWorks? Yeah. Oh, okay. No, yeah. Pixar's next slate is The Good Dinosaur in November. Mm-hmm. Which might be good, might not. Who knows? All I know is from that little teaser is that the dinosaurs do not look like they, like the cartoony dinosaurs do not look like they exist in the exact same plane as the overly realistic environments, and it's driving me mad. Uh, then it's Finding Dory. Uh, then they're finally doing that Day of the Dead movie they promised they'd do ages ago. Oh, and, so, sorry, slow that down. Day of the Dead. A, a Day of the Dead movie, like a movie about Mexico. As in the Mexican the festival, festival holiday, not yeah. The... George A. Romero film. Uh, no, 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 no. The Mexican holiday. You do realise that Pixar's primarily aimed at children, Owen. Is it, though? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, also, I'm going to use this quick space here to once again shout that Book of Life is now on all good DVDs and Blu-rays, probably at a reduced price. You should all go watch it. Um, then they're doing uh, Toy Story 4, Cars 3, and Incredibles 2, the last of which I'd be excited for if it was 10 years ago. Just... Like, ugh, it's too yeah. many. There's, there's nothing, but like, okay, but admittedly, there's nothing inherently wrong with sequels, but that much back to back just worries me. Especially again, Pixar's real like lower than lower than usual run of form since uh, 2010, like post Toy Story three. Although, and um, with Inside Out, with Inside Out looking like this massive fluke, but they are going to pull off outside of this sea of mediocre. I just worry. I, I worry. I do. At least we at least we have Disney here though, still killing it in this rena- in this second Renaissance of theirs. Yeah, they're on the up, aren't they? But I can't wait. Really well. I can't wait to Zootopia, which is their film that's coming out next year. Stars Jason Bateman. Oh. As a, that's as not a the remake of the Channel Four series where there's a disease that's gonna wipe out the world and no, not that one. Okay. Start, it sounds like you're about to start off describing twenty eight days later. Did you watch you you didn't watch Utopia? Uh, no, I need to. It's still on Netflix, isn't it? Yeah, I absolutely recommend it. One of the best British TV dramas for years. But I'll watch, the, the... I'll watch, when, I, I'll watch it when I get back to university. You know, I could lose myself in it because <laughs> I, I've heard it's suspenseful as shit. So. It is. It's fantastic. But the, the, I suppose tying into the news, that was going to get a HBO remake, which I believe has now been canned. They're yeah. not going to remake it. Yeah, Fincher moving on to work on some other projects as well with HBO instead. Yeah. It never that did, just didn't need to be remade that that program. There was absolutely nothing wrong with it as it was, and there was no way that it was going to be improved by changing it to I've Americans heard, in, in I've New heard, York. I've heard, I've heard they might have made a third series, which apparently is what the yeah. one was missing. Yeah, well, because it was cancelled um, or finished, I suppose it was concluded. Sorry, sorry, but, did Channel Four actually cancel something? I know, shocking. Whereas they let some things run on for much longer than they should, like Misfits. That should have finished after the third series. Well, that kept going. But, but stuff it, like Utopia. Yeah. 
Give that. Even, in even more tangentially related news, they finally started filming the final series of Peep Show. So. Oh, yes. <laughs> this should be excellent, hopefully. Anyway. Sorry, sorry, Steve. We appear to have hijacked your podcast to talk about nonsense again. <laughs> That's okay, I'm used to it. In this week's Triple Bill, we'll be picking uh, three films from an educational setting. Uh, don't worry, we're not picking boring documentaries for you, just movies that are based within a school, university, or anything of that ilk. Um, because Owen has got into university. Yay! I'm going to get into loads of debt. Did, but I'm going to have fun. He didn't eat yet. Join, join me. Join me in this debt yeah. of three years of fun. He didn't. Yeah. He didn't two years. I mean, it's a two-year degree. He didn't even know. have to go through clearing. I I went so, through clearing. Did you? Yeah. Oh. I, well, I applied outside of UCAS oh. because I um, don't have a level three qualification. Oh, I, I, don't, don't, I don't have any A levels. I didn't do an access to higher education course. Oh, I don't know. So I, had, I don't know how all these things work anymore. No, I applied outside of UCAS. Yep. No, yeah. I, my people get involved in this stuff know how it goes. I just know that Owen's invited me to Freshers Week and I'm going to get wasted. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be fun. That'd be a good uh, podcast recording. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> just halfway through a pint at a club with youths. Yeah, using my student discount card. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I've hijacked it. Yeah, so the triple bill was going to be based on um, film setting and education scenarios, films involved in a learning environment, whatever you want to call it. Which is harder than what you think. It's it's quite broad, I think. So I found it quite challenging to just pick three particular films. But there we go. I've done it, I think, hopefully. Go on, then. This was your fault, so you start us off. Do you want me to start? Um, okay. So I haven't actually ended up with a theme anyway. But I picked three films that I, I want to talk about because I think that um, to some degree they're kind of underrated uh, or un- overlooked, perhaps. So the first one is called Detention and it's directed by Joseph Kahn. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, uh, he probably sounds familiar to people because earlier this year he did a short movie about the Power Rangers and it was incredibly violent and it was aimed at an adult audience and it got and it was also just this hilarious fuck you to dark witty reboots of silly children's show. and it was exactly yeah it was a big parody of the whole sort of reimagining of franchises and like the teen- teenage mutant ninja turtles was coming came out last year and i think basically it was just taking the piss out of that sort of thing and also the best work that james vanderbeek and katie sackoff have done in years <laughs> true yeah um but it was quite it was kind of fun as it was it was just a little um <laughs> short stupid movie but basically it had everything there that joseph khan put into detention um and basically if you don't know what detention is it's really difficult to describe but it is set in a school detention there's some kids there and there's a serial killer called cinderella who's stalking the students in this high school um and they all have to sort of breakfast club style band together and it's just, uh, it's I'll, okay. I'll, I'll talk about why I've chosen it. I guess um, it's like a postmodern slasher movie. Um, it's just got all of the genres, 
all of the genres there. Everything that any genre of film you can think of, it's tried to pinch something from it and pull it into this film. Um, so it covers sci-fi. So there's time travel elements and various sort of paradoxes that come up in their quest to stop this serial killer. Um, it's got horror because it's just all about this big slasher thing and it's a bit weird and surreal. Uh, there's comedy elements, there's th the thriller elements. It's just this whole concoction of other things spliced together with just tons of pop culture references. Uh, bright, colourful graphics. It's, it's incredibly in your face and garish. And there's a lot of self-aware humour in it. Um, and it's, of course, all set inside a high school, so it fit into my little criteria for the chopper bill. But it's, it's pretty much made for anyone who has ever wanted to eat a tube of Smarties, drink a Sunny D, and then watch Scott Pilgrim and Scream back to back. If that sort of seems like a good evening to you, then detention sort of the film that, that you should seek out. I, I, actually, one thing I really liked about it, I watched it twice in quick succession. I watched the whole of the first film, and then I re-watched it again straight afterwards. Because there's quite a lot to take in with all of the sort of time travel elements and the, the callbacks that it's got and references that you don't quite get the first time around. Um, it's actually really clever and, and it sort of benefits watching it again. You, perhaps you don't have to do it sort of back to back and spend three hours watching the same film, but it's quite clever. It's entertaining, um, more than a little bit weird and surreal. Sometimes perhaps too much for its own good because um, it, it is in, in parts some of it is really kind of ropey, so it's a bit inconsistent. But it does all come together in the end, and it's just really quite a fun, unusual slasher film. It's not like any other slasher film that I've I've seen. It's just got elements of lots of different things. So, yeah, I highly recommend it. Good. Uh, I think I've seen that. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure you recommended it to me before I've seen it, and I think I enjoyed it from memory. <laughs> yeah, well, Joseph Kahn's done a lot of um, music videos. I think he's primarily a music video director. Um, he also did Talk, which I keep being told is a film I need to watch. Oh, yeah, he did. I haven't, still haven't seen that. Um, but it's, it's very fast-paced and fast-cut, so you can tell that he works on, you know, films, that are, uh, or, yeah, films, I guess, mo short movies for, for music videos that are just very sort of quick-cut, one thing after the other, next seed, move on. Um so it's interesting. And like I say, it's just different to every other slasher that, that gets made these days. Okay, what's up next on your list? So next on my list is a film called Ocean Waves, um, which was released in 1993. It's actually a TV movie, but it's a Studio Ghibli film. Um, it's made by a guy called Tomomi uh, Mochizuki. I think that's how you pronounce it. But probably a bit quicker it, he, it is now it is yeah he um i think this is his only studio ghibli film and like i say it was a tv movie so it's not technically part of their major um production but it's all set in a school it's about this young guy who um sort of returns home I, i'm just from the imdb description it's probably going to give it you the idea of what happens in the film a lot quicker so as a young man returns home from his first year away at college he recalls his senior year of high school and the Iron World, big city girl that turned his world upside down. So the, the film plays heavily on nostalgia. It's all about remembering what school was like, remembering the sort of relationships you built, all the friends you had, all the, the friends you didn't have, and, and the teachers and everything that you got up to during your school days. And normally, I don't quite buy into films like that that play on nostalgia, but there's something about Ocean Waves. It's, it's got that sort of flair of... a, a typical Studio Ghibli film, 
it's beautifully animated, um, and it's just lovely. I think it's just a really nice film. It's got the stuff about the key relationships that might seem unusual to begin with, because um, perhaps there's a cultural divide between what Japanese youths get up to and what I got up to in my school days, perhaps. And some things are a bit sort of frames of reference, perhaps not quite quite the same. Um, but it's still it, it's the atmosphere, that nostalgic atmosphere of remembering things that you did at school and, like I said, the relationships you had. So um, the, the main guy in it, it's all about this this girl that, that, for whatever reason, things didn't happen with. And, yeah, I just thought it, it's nailed that whole, that whole feeling. Perhaps not exactly the same. I mean, the stories aren't going to be the same for everybody, but it's just that feeling to it. Um, and I think it's underrated in, in Studio Ghibli's canon and often gets over, overlooked because... It's it's one of their TV movies, but it, it's on film four every so often. That's how I saw it. I first found it on film four. Um, if you've got the channel, then next time it's on, sell it to record or watch it. And yeah, I I, I really like it. I really do. Good. And your final film. Final film. Um, so maybe when I said I was trying to pick films that might be a bit underrated is a bit of an exaggeration because my final film is The Faculty. No. Ah. <laughs> I didn't watch this when I was younger. In the late 90s, late 90s that's it. Uh, in the late 90s, it was everywhere, The Faculty. Um, it was a really popular teenage horror film. You know, it's set in a school. It's basically Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but takes place in a high school. Um, it was extremely popular. I didn't watch it. I only watched it about two or three years ago, and I kind of really liked it. I thought it was just fantastic. You don't often get these... Um... Well, I'll tell you what happened. was I started to watch the first 15 minutes um, because it was on TV. And I just thought, I've never seen it before. You know what? I'll give it a go. And I watched the first 15 minutes. And it got to the ad break. And that's about the point where I'll normally switch off or go and do something else or change a channel or whatever. Um, I kind of then decided I was really getting into it. There's only 15 minutes in. It's really captured my attention. I went on to Netflix and watched the rest of it sort of the same evening. Um, it just It's just a really fun, classic horror there's an ode to all the, the, the films it's taking um inspiration from particularly the sort of invasion of the body snatchers films both the, the 70s and the, and the 50s film um because they're also quite different to each other but, but deal with the same thing and um yeah it's just a good mystery story it's got the whole whodunit aspect to it because it sort of plays it out as a um not a detective story but they're trying to uncover where all the missing kids have gone what's happened to them why they're acting funny um, Josh Hartnett's in it, Elijah Wood's in it, uh, Claire Duval's in it as the sort of loner, and Usher is in it as well. Just so, you know, that's and John thing. Stewart, apparently. Is he? I oh, don't right. remember John Stewart. Wow. Um, but yeah, so it's just, it's, it, it is a little bit typical teenage slasher, but it's, it's sort of clearly playing on the stereotypes of the teenage school kids um, uh, and has a lot of fun doing it. And as a result, I, I enjoyed it. It's, it's not as gory as I always thought it was going to be. Uh, I thought it was a bit body um, body horror, but it's not. It's not really. It's just a, a tip. It's it's sort of on the level. I'd say it was um, perhaps yeah, perhaps a bit 
bit gory, but not not really what you'd expect. It's all contained in the final fifteen minutes. But yeah, it's it's just a really entertaining, typical slasher. Good way to sort of waste an hour and a half, I think. Okay, um, Callum, uh, start your list off for us. Um, okay, I'll do that. Before I do that, though, uh, with a link on from the faculty, uh, a somewhat similar um, kind of film. Apparently, coming finally getting a release this year is a horror comedy called Cooties, which um, <laughs> is a, which is a, a essential horror comedy about a primary school that happened that I think gets infected with Cooties, I and mean, then actually is like an actual full-on virus that the teachers, which includes Elijah Wood and Alison Pill, have to defend themselves <laughs> from. Uh, no idea, no idea if it's any good. But it's apparently finally getting released this year. And it's also got Alison Pill in it, and Alison Pill should be in more things. I've seen a trailer for it. It did look very good for the trailer. Well, yeah, again, also it's Elijah Wood, who is always very underrated, and Alison Pill, who needs to be in more things. She needs to escape the newsroom of her career, damn it. Right. What uh, else has she been in, Alison Pill? Uh, I've seen Tim- the first episode of the newsroom. But... Uh, in Treatment, she was April on there uh, in its second season. Um, Kim Pine from Scott Pilgrim. And she was also, oh, okay. and she was also the teacher in Snowpiercer. You know, you know. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I know she is. Yeah. Great. Deserves way better than everybody keeps giving it. Right. Uh, my triple bill, uh, which I've kind of just listed this whole bunch of stuff here and have narrowed it down to a quintessential, a vastly underrated, and a strange cult classic that does not deserve to be a cult classic. Let's begin with a quintessential one. Very easy. Very obvious. Uh, mean Girls. Right. Yeah. 2004. Mark Waters, written by Tina Fey, Lizzie Lohan. I really, I don't think I need to describe this one, quite frankly, do I? Mm-mm. Like, 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 mean, mean girls. For everybody who grew up, like, like, and matured in like the mid 2000s, has seen Mean Girls at least once. Um, and then those, and for those that it sticks to, and it should stick to to many people because it's fantastic. Like, it just becomes one of those songs that you just can't forget. Like, because it's so popular in terms of like quotes and things like i rewatched it um a couple of months back for the first time in years and as i was watching i was just amazed to see just like how quickly like all the things come you know like you get all those quotes you know like stop trying to make fetch happen uh bin tumble like you can't oh my god karen you can't ask somebody why they're white kind of thing <laughs> like like you'd think they're like spread out for a movie but no it's literally just one after the other like the hits just keep coming and coming and coming like like of those movies where you where people try to pick scenes that go into popular culture, this is just the entire film is just that, just all that together. It's relentless, um, and all and like the best high school satires is also a film that actually cares about you know teenagers and teenage girls in some way. Like it, like it'll stand there and make fun of them for like you know, being vapid, self centered about that, but it comes from a place of wanting people to get better instead of just like vindictive hatefulness. That's an important topic. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Um, yeah, but I really don't think I need to explain me girls anymore. It's hilarious. It's cutting. It's brilliantly directed. It's just yeah, it's it's a, it's a modern classic. I can't remember whether I've seen it or not. I have a feeling it was one of the films that my um, wife's younger sister sort of. I was going to say subjected us to, but that's probably a bit harsh. But sort of sat down and made us watch with her, and I can't remember if it was if I've seen it. But, you know, sort of Clueless and Empire Records and all those sort of things, the ones that she made us watch. So I have a feeling Mean Girls was in there at some point. But Also, Clueless is amazing. I will hear no shit talking about Clueless. Thank I'm you not going to say shit about Clueless. No, I will move on. <laughs> Good. Good. Uh, 
you should you should probably rewatch Mean Girls again. After all, again, it is written by Tina Fey. True. Right. Uh, underrated. It's not. Well, I mean, it's not really underrated. It's got a cult of its own here, but one that more people really should watch is Mike Mitchell's Sky High from two thousand and five. Um, I can't even. Is that the superhero thing? Yes. Okay. I mean, yeah. it's it's really stretching it because it's a superhero, a place of superhero learning, but um. It fits. Shut up. I'm going to talk about Sky High. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Sky High is essentially a um, it's a Disney movie, which initially should set off alarm bells. Set off alarm bells for me when I first watched it. Um, about superheroes, about the son of two big famous superheroes, one played by Kurt Russell, um, who I played by something whose name I can't remember, unfortunately. Right there. Um, and, like, and his parents are two of the greatest superheroes ever, but he's yet to find out what his superpower is. Um, and so he has to go through and then he's finally being shipped off to Sky High, where he will determine whether he becomes a superhero or a sidekick. Um, and then he has to navigate through these different high school tropes there as well, bands together with a bunch of misfits to defeat evil villains. And it's just, it's really, really funny. Like, it's really funny. It's really clever. Like, it actually makes full, proper usage of its conceit. Um, you also got Bruce Campbell there as the hard-ass gym teacher, which, obviously, come on, Bruce Campbell. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. and, and Linda Hamilton as the headmistress. No, not, no, Linda Hamilton, Linda, Linda Carter. That's it, Linda Carter. Um, I, again, it's really funny, surprisingly heartfelt. Um, the effects actually really work. Like, so, again, it's a relatively low budget, but it's all cartoony. So, like, when it all, even when it's at its worst, it still kind of fits into this um, aesthetic of a film. Um, its finale is great. It's got a Hum, it's got a humding of a twist, which leads into me saying that it's got one of the absolute best Mary Elizabeth Winstead performances. Um, and I love Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She's amazing. Um, plug next week. Plug for my site. Next week, <laughs> there will be an article on the six best Mary Elizabeth Winstead performances in preparation for Folks getting a UK release September 7th. Mark out in calendars. Um, yeah, it's just I, I, I have a huge soft spot for this film. More people should see it. It's like it's genuinely great. And it kind of bums me out. that it wasn't bigger. Like, like, I mean, obviously they're going to try and start a franchise, and that, like, and it. Whilst I'm glad that it exists as like the single pure thing, you know, I can say that like Age of Tomorrow would probably have somehow forced a sequel out of itself from that there, but because it didn't do so great, it now sits as this pure thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, uh, like it works, it's great, and also it's written by the people who gave you Kim Possible, and Kim Possible was fantastic, and I will hear no shit talking about Kim Possible. Thank you kindly. I just say Kim Possible. Now you need to know what Kim Possible is, do you? I. It's the cartoon series on Cartoon yes. Network. Yeah. Yes. No. No. Disney uh, Channel. Is it Disney? Okay. Sky High, I'll admit, has always looked utter shit to me. I've never even considered watching it. Yeah, I know. Like, that's the, that's the thing. That's the typical like Disney thing. You know, like Disney live action films are usually just terrible. I mean, this yeah. came like twelve months after The Haunted Mansion, for Christ's sake. Mm. Um, but again, no, it's really good. And if nothing else, you can at least listen to the soundtrack, which features a whole bunch of indie acts covering eighty songs. You got They Might Be Giants doing Devos through Being Cool, for example. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, I'll just check out the soundtrack instead, probably. Watch the film as well. Like seriously, it's genuinely great and really funny and entertaining. More people should watch it. Uh, right. Um, and again, and also again, if you don't watch it, you're depriving yourself of a great Mary Elizabeth Winstead performance. Seriously. Right. Um, And finally, in my overrated one, um, trashed by critics at the time of its release, 
suddenly picked up by a lot of people in the future now has gone on to have an actual cult following is 1999's Jawbreaker, directed by Darren Stein. Um, it's on Netflix and was under the uh, cult teen comedies barrier when I was going through a whole load of cult teen comedies. Still am now, to be honest, but in any case. Um, so it's a film that stars uh, Rose McGowan, Julie Benz, and somebody else's name I don't remember, unfortunately. As um, three like like queen bitches of a high school who run the place and are mean and terrible, and one night on one of their best friend's birthdays, they decide to kidnap her like as a prank to drive her to a holiday and shut a jawbreaker in her mouth to keep her quiet like when they shove her in the back seat. When they get to the place they're going to, they open the boot and find out they've killed their best friend. And so the rest of the film involves them trying to you know cover up the crime and get away with things. And then also Judy Greer is in here as well as a awkward shy loner who stumbles upon the dead body and who the girls bribe into silence by trying to make her over as a new queen boss bitch popular girl. Um, it's not good. The problem, the, the reason why it's not good mainly is, as I mentioned with Mean Girls, the best high school movies and best high school satires are the ones that come with some semblance of like genuine compassion for those involved. Yeah, again, like you know, like when again when they make fun of teenagers and that there is let is more of a kind of wanting them to get better instead of just like oh these people were terrible to me in high school I'm gonna get back at them by writing them as terrible vicious like vicious one dimensional bitches and that's what Joel Baker does like they like the cast is just so horrible and the film's so mean spirited about itself about itself mm. and everybody that it just doesn't work like it's just like it goes too far like it's just and it's just. Like his plot is so stupid. Like, this is a film where if anybody acted with any rational sense, the film would end immediately. But it doesn't, because then the film doesn't get to continue. So when you have Pam Greer popping up randomly during that time when Pam Greer was famous again, thanks to Jackie Brown, um, as a detective investigating the case, and she, you'd think in, like, five seconds, Pam Greer would just walk onto the case, figure out everything instantly, end it, but no, no. And just, it, yeah, it's just not very good. It's flatly directed, terribly paced. Um, Rose McGowan's really trying. Like, nothing else. Like, she's really great in that kind of, like, despicable lead character kind of thing. But, um, again, it's just, it's too mean-spirited. And also, um, Judy Greer does not look high school age at all there, ever. <laughs> I, like, I know, I, like, I know that um, that seems like, like, being mean-spirited, cherry-picking kind of thing, but... Because, you know, casting people overage as high schoolers is a thing that happens here. But, um, yeah, I can't even hold my suspension of disbelief for Judy Greer. For, I think it was like 26-year-old Judy Greer playing a high schooler. So Yeah. I've just had to look at the cast list. And Marilyn Manson is in it, apparently. Oh, That's yeah. It. As, a, as somebody who uh, Rose McGowan tries to, think, tries to uh, frame as the uh, evil... Is the guy who murdered right. your, your best friend? It's like two seconds. I didn't even recognise him. So okay. So that's oh, probably not... where those two met then, because they obviously got together. Oh. But also, also the Donners are in it. That's a blast from uh, the past. I yes, don't know the their Donners. name phrase. Just... Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, as a quick reference here, like um, this barely qualifies for the but I'd also like to recommend Debs, D E B S, uh, which was a cult 2004. Um, Spy high school comedy action trifecta. Okay, like Debs is weird. Okay, right. Debs is three separate films aimed at three separate target audiences in three separate genres, all <laughs> playing all playing at the same time and fighting for the same real space and only occasionally working. Like one one third is a Charlie's Angel spoof. Is a silly Charlie's Angel spoof. 
you know, you know, girls running around in school <laughs> gear costumes back there and tell lectures. Another is a high, bog standard high school movie. And the other is a genuinely sweet and sincere, heartwarming lesbian coming out um, comedy drama kind of thing, using the thinnest, the absolute thinnest of metaphors of, you know, like of good girl spy hero dating evil um, lesbian supervillain kind of thing that like for, you know, the shame of sexuality and coming out, it bet like it only really like the whole film only really works some of the time. And like it's objectively a, te- a mess and dreadful, but I love it. Like I really did, and I, I know, I, I know a lot of people probably look at that and go, like, "Oh, he loves it because of makeout scenes." But no, no, I, I genuinely just love it. it's hilarious. It's really awkward. It's got com- the courage of its convictions to just throw away everything at any point when it thinks it's got a great idea that it's going to use, and it, and again, and it's legitimately sweet. It's hard in the right place, and it is just weird and ridiculous. And you should probably check it out. It deserves a better rep than it's gotten. So okay, that's, that's my quadruple bill. Sorry, sorry for breaking the rules. <laughs> Okay, <clears throat> well, to start mine and to finish this part, um, I was debating whether this one could actually be picked on the criteria, but then I thought, well, it's set in a preschool and they probably do some kind of learning there. <laughs> and, yeah. that's, and that's Toy Story 3. Where, oh, the, where, I thought you were going in a different direction then. Did you think I was doing kindergarten cop? I did, yeah. No. Yeah. Don't, don't, okay. don't be ridiculous, Owen. Okay, sorry, Steve. Carry on. Um, so yes, um, yeah, it's set in a, a preschool where I'm sure they do some learning, and it would have been the perfect end to the Toy Story trilogy had they not decided to release another one that we complained about earlier. But yes, we'll, obviously, we'll, we'll just get it if it doesn't. If it's crap, we'll, we'll just forget it ever happened. Like like the Star Wars prequels were just erased them from memory. Exactly. With the yeah. neuralizer, but also remove Men in Black Three from collective consciousness. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, so uh, the, the toys get taken to this preschool to be used as toys by people staying there, but there's problems with the toys um, already there. They are bad, um, mm. uh, especially Lotso Hugging Bear. His name, you'd, you'd think he was a good guy. He ain't. He's nothing but trouble. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> World world class film analysis going on here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah don't don't let the name fool, fool you. He's a yeah. he's a bad egg. Uh, yeah. But Doesn't no, I mean, yeah, it, this would have been the perfect end to a fantastic trilogy, um, and in my mind, it always will be. Unless you really like Toy Story Four. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to. But it's still not a trilogy anymore. It's a quadrilogy, which is, yeah. is which is a thing Saw tried to coin. So let's move on. What's your next but, choice? But, but now, now Saw's a, oh, how many Saw's have there been? Too many. I think, a, I think it's just a saga by this point. Yeah, franchise saga. Yeah, I, th- I, I think they've tried selling it as a saga. Anyway, it's like move on. <laughs> Get back. Yes, back the, on ne- the next one takes a, a more serious look at uh, well life. It's not an animated cartoon for children for a start. It is the social network, primarily set at Harvard University, and the biopic of Mark Zuckerberg, the creator of Facebook. Um, hmm. Yeah, I, sorry, I just, just realised that actually does properly fit the criteria. Hmm. See, I That's what I mean. It was quite, it's quite a broad criteria when you, when you sit down and think when about it. When you're thinking about picking the films for this, I was thinking, well, I could do Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Well, no, I can't because he spends a whole day avoiding school. 
That's the whole <laughs> point of that. Then you think, well, I could pick something like super bad or if I wanted to just go for purely comedy, something like super bad or, or old school. But while they're like focused around high school kids or the college, they're not actually set there at all. There's very briefly, you know, very brief moments where actually in these places. So, they, you know, like American Pie, it's all high school kids graduating around prom. They're very rarely in the school. So it doesn't really fit the fit the bill. Doesn't really yeah. fit the, doesn't really fit the triple bill. So, yeah. um, but you know the majority. Well, not the majority, but a fair chunk of the social network is set in Harvard University. I think I've seen it twice. Once when it first came out, and then once a few years ago, and just found it really enjoyable. I didn't think going into to watching a film about the man who created Facebook would be that interesting, uh, and quite how accurately it portrayed the events and Mark Zuckerberg, I, I don't know. But it certainly made it an interesting and enjoyable watch. Jesse Eisenberg has got to take a lot of um, responsibility for making it watchable because he's he's fantastic in that. I think, his I, I, best performance. I think that's really what kind of, of you know, got him to be well-known. Of course, he's done films before that uh, and been around before that, but I think that was his real kind of breakout moment mm. it also had uh, Andrew Garfield in as well and, Just, yeah. and, Just, and Justin Timberlake while we're talking about um, you know, musicians being in films like Usher and Army and Hammer, Hammer. Yeah. as a link Two into yeah, <laughs> as a link into our views later on yes. mm. um, and finally for my triple bill I'm going for 21 Jump Street I thought you might yeah <laughs> when you were listing off those comedies just now, and I was going, and 21 Jump Street? No, he's not said it yet. And 21 Jump Street? No, well, he's still not tw- said it. 21 Jump Street fits because a lot of it was set in the school. It was. I, I, yeah. Are you picking 21 over 22? Are you doing yes. that? Yeah. I preferred 21. Same. The best bit about 22 was the, was the closing credits of all the different sequels. I, I, I want this on record right now, by the way, but if 23 Jump Street doesn't end in a sequence in which Channing Tatum and Jonas Hill have sex with each other, then what is the fucking point of this? <laughs> and apparently, I'm sure you've heard this, I don't think me and I have spoken about it before on here, but the, the next one is a, a Jump Street Men in Black crossover. Mm. I know, and that's, that's a thing I didn't even realise I wanted until it's been floated as a serious offer, but at the same time, again, if it doesn't end with Schmidt and Jenko having but, sex, then what is the point of this franchise? But, but the Men in Black side of it wouldn't include Will Smith or Tommy Lee Jones, apparently. Will Smith is really avoiding everything involved with him recently. Like, they made him famous. He doesn't want the Bad Boys sequels. He's trying. Uh, he's apparently trying to develop a reboot of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I, I, don't, yeah. what's got, what's I was just talking well, about this with the, my, the, my wife. The only person who wants a Bad Boys reboot or, or a threequel is Martin it's Lawrence. Lawrence. There's, no, there's, <laughs> nobody, there's nobody else interested in that. There's, there's no arguing about that. No one else is interested about it. He doesn't want to do independent. He doesn't want to be involved in the new Independence Day. Yeah. Uh, I heard he might impose his son upon us for that one. But uh... I was just, I was going to say to anyone who's born after 2005, who is Will Smith other than Jaden Smith's dad? To them, really. I mean, they didn't grow up with Will Smith being the Fresh Prince, and then they didn't grow up with him being the guy from Independence Day and Men in Black. He's just. That guy's dad. Oh, God, I am terrified they're going to put Jaden Smith as the Fresh Prince in a Fresh Prince reboot, and I don't want that! No, Nobody wants that. They were, they were talking, I think, a while ago about doing a reunion one-off special, but then Uncle Phil died. Yeah. And 
that got that gave them a reason to do it. No, it went quiet after that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but so now that's on Twenty One Jump Street. Twenty One Jump Street. <laughs> yeah. 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 Really, really surprisingly good comedy. I think it kind of you know when you when you look at it, kind of right. Jonah Hill's got a lot of, of um, credibility when it comes to comedy. He's done a lot of good ones, but Channing Tatum isn't kind of known for being a a, a comic actor. And it kind of seems a bit strange those two pairing up as a as a buddy cop comedy essentially, but it really worked, really surprisingly funny. Um, and the sequel was not as good in my opinion, but not far off. Yeah, I, I remember reading a thing um, somewhere where Jonah Hill was relating when Channing Tatum actually came up to him, like yeah, I remember we first doing Twenty One Jump Street, and he was worried that he wouldn't be able to do this, like this you know normally behunky lead in romance or drama films, and that very difficult to be able to do it. So. But like Joe Hill just told him, just just play it earnestly, like 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 just yeah. pretend you believe all this and you'll be fine. And he did. And then the Channing Tatum we all know and love was born. <laughs> yeah. And well, then... well, you say that, but have you seen Step Up? I have seen Step Up. The first Step Up is a really fucking boring movie. Well, I bet she's the man. She's oh, in he's in that, isn't he? With, mm-hmm. with Vinnie Jones. I actually like. Yes. It. It's I, not, not bad, actually. Yeah. It's... And it was. Oh yeah, it would have fit. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I, I keep talking of you. I don't even mean to. Like, really just... <laughs> yeah. Well, we have got a lot of suggestions from people on Twitter. Good. Um, Shall I read some out? Go on then. Yeah. Why not? So, but this, this podcast is already long enough. Is it? Isn't long yeah. enough already? Exactly. Uh, we had at John the Journo who said School of Rock, which is one that crossed my mind. Yeah. Uh, watch that. I really need to rewatch that. Yeah, Dangerous Minds and uh, American Psycho 2 with William Shatner, he said. <laughs> American Psycho 2 is the worst. I mean, it is just... There's, they should not have called it American Psycho 2 because it's nothing to do with the first one, really. But I mean, it kind of... Monies. It tentatively ties <laughs> the story, but it feels so tacked on. Um, but we also had... Um, Andrew Alcock on Twitter, at Andy underscore Alcock, who's recommended loads of triple bills to us in the past. We've sort of used a couple of the ones he suggested as well. Um, but he's he listed off loads, so I'm just going to read a couple of them. He said Confessions from 2010, Monsieur Lazar from 2011, which is great, Wadstra, Carrie, Donnie Darko. He says it'll all have major school scenes, although not really set there. Some great suggestions there. We also had Liam at Elmore LTM, who also suggested Monsieur Lazar. Um, and the proper St. Trinians, he said. And would school for scoundrels count? And I said, yes, I think it would. Um, Maya Brooker, who, which is Andrew Brooker's wife, actually suggested a few. She said, Breakfast Club, of course, Breakfast Club. Um, so nearly made my list, Breakfast Club. But just you, could put, you could probably just put John Hughes as just like a place. Just John Hughes, yeah, exactly. Um, she just said rebel without a cause. I don't remember too much of that being set in a school, but it was, that was the point of him, wasn't he? He was a rebel who was... Uh, he, he did not have a course. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> that, that was his biggest problem, really. That was it, yeah. <laughs> um, and she said the exam. Well, I've not seen the exam. We had a lot of people suggest Whiplash. A few people suggested Whiplash. Dan Taylor. Yeah. Dan Taylor said, said Whiplash. I would have loved to have included Whiplash, actually. Um, Pasta, Paul, also said Whiplash. He also suggested Class of Newcomb High, which was uh, a bit of an out there one. Um uh, we had a guy who, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this, I'm going to go with Stephen. It's Stephen, but with PH instead of S, at Hell is for Heroes, 
he suggested detention, um, which is what sort of prompted me to think about detention as, an, as a part of this list. So thank you very much. Um, we had Ema Rafti, who suggested Scream 2, which would have been on here had, Cal uh, had Carol been a part of this, this episode. I'm sure she loves that film. Um, Sean at Shug Daddy said summer school, old school, she's all that. So someone did seriously suggest she's all that. Yeah, but he got the old school criteria wrong because while it's about a college fraternity, he's yeah. not really ready to set in the college. Well, you can take that up with him if you like, Steve. I might do. Yep. And it depends <laughs> how busy that, work is tomorrow. Is is that is that better? Is that worth arguing more than the fact that he put she's all that on the list for? <laughs> at least well, at least he's within the criteria though. It's it's yeah. Yeah. Let, let's, let's keep let's keep insulting the fans, shall we? Yeah. Okay, just a few more, and then we'll um, we'll end this segment. I think we had at Cinaday said Horse Feathers, which is the Marx Brothers film, which didn't even come into my mind until he tweeted that as well, and also almost made the list. He also said Zero de Conduit, which I've never seen or even heard of. Rock and Roll High School, which of course I only know because of the Ramones. Um, Lord Love a Duck, never heard of that one. Pretty Maids in a Row, never heard of that one. And Election, which is fantastic, and also nearly made my list. We also had a few people seriously suggest Battle Royale. So Thomas Simpson at Simi41 said Rules of Attraction, the Harry Potter films with a question well, mark, and well, Battle he, Royale. He's, he's right with the Harry Potter films. They're, a lot of them are set in a bloody school. They're yeah. just bloody awful. Rubbish. Yeah, well, 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 the worst ones are usually the ones that are actually mainly set in a school, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, um, no, no one went for Sister Act 2. No, nope. but we did have Kindergarten Cop suggested yeah. by the spoilist at the spoilist. And you also could have had Mighty Ducks. Which we're getting Ducks. a sequel to. Yeah. You could have also Jesus. had Mighty Ducks 3, but not 1 or 2. Hang on, is Kindergarten Cop 2 the one that they're going to cast Dolph Lundgren in? Uh, but yeah, no, it's only yeah. shooting, if I remember. It's shooting with Dolph Lundgren? Yeah, right now. Well, can't wait for that. Um... <laughs> Yeah, Nathan Human at Nathan Human also suggested the faculty and Breakfast Club. Uh, it's also said Goodwill Hunting, Dead Poet Society, and the Wonder Boys. So some some interesting suggestions. And lastly, we had um, at Upper Tier Steve who said Fast Times at Ridgemont High, uh... Animal House, and also said Battle Royale, Breakfast Club, and School of Can't Hulk. can't do Animal House for the same reason you can't do Old School. Um, I, I, I'm I'm not a fan of Fast Times. Like I watched it for the first time this past week, and I just don't like. It's not funny. It's not insightful. It's just kind of there, for like ninety minutes. And also, it's and, and it's not sexy. And in fact, I actually find the amount of times the camera stares on what are supposed to be teenage characters' breasts honestly kind of creepy. Mm. And it's ne and it's needle drops annoy me. Like I am somebody who is an, who is all about the art of needle drops, and that film just like drops popular songs randomly and i'm just like stop doing it stop bridging every scene of a popular song oh and it also features sean penn i fucking hate sean penn like if i, really? if I was to, if i was to make a list of a 10 of like of like 10 people i never want to see in a film slots one to ten be filled by sean penn he just like he just irritates the ever-loving fuck out of me like his entire existence and he's and he's stoner surfer comic relief in this movie as well which is even yeah. fucking worse mm. um, Oh, one final one, which we had, was Aaron Baker, who said that he's at RM for RML, uh, which is real music for real music lovers, I believe. He also, he suggested Clockwise, and I hadn't heard of this. You might have seen it, Steve, because I think it might be your sort of humour more than mine, but it's, I think it's got like John Cleese in it and people like that. I don't Do think so. It? No, it doesn't ring no? a bell. doesn't ring a bell. How about you, Callum? Uh, No. 
Nope. No, I'd never heard of it. Never heard of it. Could have had it... could have had Karate Kid because a lot of it's set in a dojo. <laughs> which is a place of learning. Yeah. I was we, considering we Sus- Suspiria, which is set in like um, uh, a music academy, I believe. Dance academy, which is um, also a horror film about a coven of witches, which is fantastic. We could, we could have had South Park bigger, longer and uncut, technically, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. We could have. All these films we could have, should have, we, and didn't. We didn't. Yeah. For our first new release for this week, we're going to be reviewing Trainwreck, which. was written by and starring one of the two most famous Amy's in film comedy at the moment, Amy Schumer, um, as a um, who's got, you can't leave that there. Who's the who's the other one? Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler. Okay. How yeah. how would you Just not me, know you didn't that? Get that? Yeah, I yeah. thought that I, was, I thought that was implied. I didn't think I needed to follow that up with the other one. Okay. No. Yep. Just me. And I've even watched Wet Hot American Summer this week, so I should have, should have got it. And you should have watched Parks and Recreation. I watched half of an episode, because it was on Dave, because they've started showing the new season. Yeah. Or latest season to be shown in the UK, anyway. Anyway. anyway so, train anyway, wreck. Yes. Yes, train wreck. Much like this podcast. She is a, a girl who was told by her dad that um, monogamy isn't realistic. And grows up believing that all her life and sleeps around and um, all that kind of thing. Callum may have a different opinion to this film to me. I thought it was it was it was good but not great. It's a kind of typical Judd Apatow kind of film. He's directed the film, but you know, he's in that he's in that kind of bullpen. The major difference is the main central character, whereas is usually played by a guy in this kind of films, is played by a lady. Um, but other than that, I didn't really find there being much difference. Uh, it was fine. It's kind of one of those, you'll laugh a few times, you'll have a, enjoy watching it, but you'll probably forget most of it when you walk out of the cinema. It's it's not one I'm going to be in a hurry to watch again, but that's not saying that it's a bad film. Yeah, um, I feel like a synopsis could have gone a bit bigger about um, in that, like, Amy is also, like, she lives in New York. She's a writer for a trendy magazine that mainly specializes in takedown articles. Um, and she is a barely functioning alcoholic. She's a barely functioning alcoholic and she enjoys sleeping around. And at the start of the film, as well, the, one, the, ma- the person she sleeps around most with is uh, a sensitive guy played by John Cena, as well, who I also bring up here mentioning because there are plenty of John Cena full nude scenes and that man is weirdly built. <laughs> like, 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 I can't get over how weird, like, his bo- his muscles and that they're just like it's it's a weird construction body. I like there's a bit where you just walk where you see him his back walk towards a uh, like the bathroom. I was just thinking that's CGI. That's, He's that's got diddy little legs as well. That's not a real human being. Yeah. Uh, but in any case, uh, yeah. Um, Lo- lovely guy though done, has done more wishes for the Make a Wish Foundation than any other celebrity ever. He is like done. Like, if there was a record, he's beat the record, and then, like, then some. He's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, John, John Cena's a genuinely nice guy. It's just a shame he's not a very good or interesting wrestler. Anyways, um, like, Trainwreck itself, uh, yep, uh, there's also, running around here as well, um, is that Amy then falls for um, a sports doctor, played by Bill Hader. Um, and then also running around the mix is her younger sister, played by Brie Larson, who it's always nice to see in, all, in any kind of movies. Um, I even nearly gave a pass to the gambler for earlier this year because they had Brie Larson in a major role. Um, 
her dad and her dad's in a nursing home played by Colin Quinn. And then her editor is also Tilda Swinton, who looks more and more like David Bowie with every passing day. Um, not, not an insult. I should stress that, not an insult. Um, right. My question is this. Uh, how much... Like, how fair is it to mark down a film by somebody who is known, who's made their reputation on doing subversive and deconstructive material for turning in a film that's way more, that's basically just very traditional? Like, like, because Amy, like, Amy Schumer is a huge star in comedy right now, and there's a reason for that. It's because she's been using her stand up and especially her Comedy Central TV series, Inside Amy Schumer, to do these vicious um subversions and takedowns of um sexist culture um like patriarchy um the idea of women being just objects look at that especially back in i think it was may um there was this big one going around of where she did an entire episode like an entire 22 minute episode where she used a 12 angry men parody um to to essentially destroy the entire notion of whether women deserve to be on tv because of their looks and why the fuck are we having this conversation to begin with um, like that's her thing. Her thing is this distinctly feminist, angry, like deconstructionist view. And Trainwreck has moments of that, especially in the ways of the fact that Amy is, you know, again, she's not exactly a great, she's not a fantastic person. Like it, she's not unlikable, but it, it also doesn't sand down any of her edges. Like she comes to you as this kind of often terrible, but like kind of person. Um, but in the case, it's all still very traditional. Like, like, you know, like you have Bill Hader there, it's just the perfectly swell, perfect guy. Um, there's, you know, there's all the moments where you like the meet cute, the moment where, oh, the moment where the drama hits in, the second act breakup, the overly sweet final 15 minutes ending on a big grand romantic gesture. Like, and I do wonder, is it fair to mark Schumer down for being so traditional when she's made her name being so deconstructionist? Um... In this instance, I'm willing to let her get away with that because I laughed a lot at this film. Um, like I laughed a lot. Um, it's too long, as is the usual Judd Apatow way. It's it's, it's just two, over it's two, two hours, hours, isn't it? Yeah, it's two hours and change in typical Judd Apatow fashion. But at the same time, I'm kind of okay with it because that slower, more easygoing style I think works for Trainwreck. Um, but not sure. But um, again, again, like it's fine. I'm willing to let go because it's really funny. Like, I, I laughed a lot at this movie. Um, it's got fantastic performances from everybody. Um, Schumer here, just cl- hopefully using this as a springboard to a much bigger future in these comedies. Bill Hader as straight man is kind of a waste of Bill Hader, but it's still, you know, but he's still he's fantastic in the role there. Uh, Brie Larson I want, has lightning chemistry with Schumer. I want, like, 100 more buddy-sister comedy pictures with them together. Um, Tilda Swinton is... Tilda Swinton's probably the weak link, but she's still very funny. Again, like, because she's playing a bit too broad, but at the same time, it sort of works. And also LeBron James is on here, and LeBron James has natural comic timing, which are words I never thought I would ever say. <laughs> um, you know, it's, re- again, it's really funny. has a lot of really funny moments. Um, I do feel, I, I do wish it was more deconstructive. Like, if it was willing to go meaner, to go darker, to properly break down on the um, rom-com elements there. I feel like Judd Apatow probably sanded a lot of this off here, like to fit within his usual wheelhouse. Um, well, I, mean, I-, I mean, I think I've not seen much of a stand-up or a TV show, but if that's what she's like in that, she should really stick to her convictions and be more like it in the films, especially when she's, in a way, playing against type, playing a female lead and what's traditionally in those kind of films by Judd Apatow, a male lead. Um, 
she should maybe go for it a bit more and stick to her guns a bit more. They're probably still going to make a, a a movie with Amy Schumer, even if she doesn't quite tell them. It's about to cross 100 million domestic in America, so she will be starring in a lot more films in the near future. Um, again, again, it's kind of weird. I'm I'm willing to let it pass this time because I laughed a lot, and in this fucking disastrous year for comedy that we've had so far, I am willing to give a movie like this a pass for be, like for it being as funny as it is. Um, so yeah, because now I can count the number of genuinely funny, like just pure comedies on three fingers now. Yeah. What, what, what would you say they are? Uh, Trainwreck, Spy, and Pitch Perfect Two. Uh, Magic Mike XXL doesn't count for me because it's kind of a comedy drama thing. Ant-Man's more of a superhero movie kind of thing. And uh, Kingsman is an action comedy. Like, like in pure... Okay. In terms, in There's terms just of, sort of eight right comedies. Yeah, like in pure comedy this year, it has been fucking abysmal. Um, so, but now I can count them on three fingers. Okay. Uh, <laughs> next up, The Man from Uncle, seen by Owen and Callum, uh, based on a TV show from way back when Brooke would probably be able to tell us if he was on because he's old and remembers all these TV shows. 60, <laughs> 68 to 72, I believe. He's not he's not that old. I just put that out there in his defence. He's he old. Did, he did remember watching reruns of it yeah. when he was younger, I think. I'm pretty sure ITV4 reruns stuff like this all the time. So. All the time, yeah, constantly. Um, not that I've ever seen it. I've only seen the film. And um, I'll be honest, until I read Brooker's review before I published it, I had no idea it was a TV show anyway. That was the first I'd ever heard that it was a TV show. The only thing I knew about Man from Uncle was that it was another Guy Ritchie film and it was set in the 60s about a Russian and an American agent. Yeah, so it's the uh, uh, latest Guy Ritchie film starring Henry Cavill, yep. Superman, as, yes. uh, the ma- as the Man from Uncle. And Napoleon Solo. Yeah. yeah, that's a great name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Napoleon, Napoleon Solo, who is who was a U.S. officer turned art thief turned conscripted CIA agent. Yeah, I, I, important. Not today. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, Army Hammer is in it. Yeah, which is uh, also a great name, and not even his character's name. Yeah, but as Ilya Ilya Kuryakin. Yeah, who is the head? Who is the KGB's top agent? Um, one of their youngest agents as well, and who recruited after his father was um, revealed to be a traitor to the communist cause. Yep. I, I, I fill in these bits purely because it fits into one of the things I want to talk about in a bit. So anyways. okay, and also what hasn't really been publicised that well, um, Alicia Vikander is sort of like a main character in it. It's not yep. a, it's not like a buddy cop comedy action film it's like yeah. a, there's the three of them there's three of them yeah, as, um, Gab, as gabby teller a um the daughter of a the east german daughter of a nazi rocket scientist yeah who is the key to finding out where he where um he has gone because he has shacked up with elizabeth debicki playing victoria vicinera to create an app to um nuclear at- nuclearize atomize whatever is an atom bomb um, and so Russia and America have to work together to bring them down. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just going to say, I, I kind of hadn't been looking forward to this at all. I like Guy Ritchie. I like his older films, at least. Lockstock is great. Snatch is just fantastic. Yep. Sherlock Holmes, mm, it was all right. You know, it's okay. It was they were, passable. They, they were fun. Uh, yeah, fun, but... Fun, but forgettable. Like, 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 they're literally films that you watch and you enjoy, and then as soon as they're finished, they just disappear completely. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, I hadn't even bothered with the second Sherlock Holmes film, and they're making a third one. But the second one, I heard that as they were making it, they they literally made it up on the spot as they were going along. They sort of had some semblance of idea well, for the sequel. We, we we can't really bash that idea completely in my head, since that's how a lot of Marvel films get made, as it turns out. <laughs> so. Not to the same like level of writing scripts on the day of filming. Oh, you know, oh, oh. they have rewrites of Marvel films all the time, but. Yeah, this was that was just making it up as it went, and it apparently, from what I heard, was not good. So I didn't bother with that one. I had a similar level of expectation for Man from Uncle, um, but it's really fun. I don't know why it's kind of snuck in under the radar a little bit. It's it's actually quite a good. Uh, in fact, Brooker described it really well in his his review on the website when he said it's an unblockbustery blockbuster. Yeah, it's. It's just, it is really good, hilarious lines in it at times. It's probably the best uh, performance I've seen from Henry Cavill, by the way. I did like Man of Steel, but, you know, he was very cold and distant in that film. And I've seen The Cold Light of Day, which was fucking dreadful. (laughs) Absolutely (laughs) fucking awful. Um, And I don't even remember him at all in Stardust. Um, But he was really good. His comic timing was fantastic. I'd like, to men- I'd like to mention as well, uh, this is the first time that Guy Ritchie, Hollywood director, made sense to me. And mm-hmm. not coincidentally, this is the first time Guy Ritchie, Hollywood director, has actually been allowed to get a hold of a script for a Hollywood film. So this probably explains a fair lot. True. But he's made some very dodgy films in the past. Rock and Roller is just, like me. No, no, come on, come on, come on, come on. Terrible Guy Ritchie gangster films, you go to, you go to Revolver. Re- oh, Revolver was the next level down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, that was just a complete and utter mess. Yeah. Anyways, Man from Uncle, um, things we're trying to get. We will do Man from Uncle, yeah. Okay. So, what, what was your opinion of Man from Uncle then? Um, I went into it relatively excited. Uh, mainly because, like, like, I'm pretty sure the reason this movie is failing financially is because the marketing is all over the place. <laughs> like, it can't decide whether it's a parody of 60s stuff, whether it is 60s stuff, like that, but it kind of just, like, it hooked me. Like, it's kind of like, this is different. I'm interested. And then I went to film, and it's probably the best non-Fury Road blockbuster I've seen this year. Mm-hmm. Like, I really, really like this. Um, it's a lot of fun. Um, like, it's really stylish um, in that typical Guy Ritchie way. It's funny. Yeah. Um, has yeah. excellent performances from everybody. Like, Henry Cavill does outstanding work as, you know, like, the old, as the, you know, just old, old American mm-hmm. kind of guy that was also incredibly arrogant. Yeah. Um, and then Army Hammer's there is like what should just be a like you know, a stock Russian parody there, but also is able to make put like genuine feeling into it. And then Alicia Vikander nearly runs away with the film from everybody. Um, fucking, she's having one hell of a year between this and Ex Machina, and apparently she's another. Apparently she's got more films to come as well this year. So I, I, I guess they're, they're, uh, like she, like everybody's outstanding work. Um, it's. The, the, re- the reason why it sticks with me is that I've, I've had a lot of reviews that uh, have tried to claim that it's empty. Like, mm-hmm. like that it's stylish, but it's empty, it's got nothing going on. I disagree, actually. Like, it's because it's definitely a film very much about, like, the disposability, like, the, the kind of disposability of the way that um, intelligence forces seem to regard their agents. Yeah, you know, like, like Solo is being blackmailed into this so he doesn't go to prison. Uh, Kuriaki is being forced by KGB with like the spectre of his father's shame hanging over his head all the time. It, like, it was very loose. I mean, that whole plot line didn't really 
yeah. work for me. Oh, don't don't yeah. worry, don't worry. I'm, getting, I'm getting to it, I'm getting to this, don't worry. Um, like, then there's also, like, the kind of uncooperative, and the ways that both these agencies, even when they're supposed to be working together, just keep pushing each other in this kind of dick-waving contest, which the Cold War was, essentially. Um, but there, the, then also bits of utility of war, masculinity, and especially as well, the way that it just also slowly breaks down the kind of, like, stereotypes of, like, Henry Cavill isn't just the old American. He's also the old American who is very good at being a massive dick. Like, <laughs> of being the guy, like, of being the guy, of, he's not just charming, he's also a guy who will push everybody's buttons or to get what he wants. Whilst Koyakin is not just a steely rush, he's also a guy who, when anger, needs to take out his rage on somebody. Like, right, like, like breaking these people down till they turn into humans. Yeah. But they're still being puppets of, you know, the war themselves and how, like, they could be perfectly fine together and that they were just, you know, not on these opposite sides. And I, I love this so much in a way because it's not the main focus of the film. Like, the main focus of the film is, of course, you know, like, yeah, the hunt for the bomb, these two, just as buddies working together. But, uh, sorry, they're going to work together. But there's all this stuff going on that's, like, just bubbling under the surface. Like, it's there. It's there if you look for it, but it doesn't overpower the film, if it makes sense there. And it's still yeah, got absolutely. Genuine, and it's got genuine nuance, interest going on. And when I was watching it, I was like, this is what Mission Impossible Rogue Nation wanted to be, but wasn't. Like, I was just sat there, like, especially with the disposability of Agents fingers, just sat there, like, this is doing it far better because, like, it has to follow things through to the end instead of just confusing its politics. I really, like, I really like that kind of thing bubbling under the surface. And I especially just love the last shot of the film, which, I'm, like, I'm not going to describe in detail, but, like, the way that it drops, like, you know, like the, big, the big line and then just lingers on everybody for like 40 seconds afterwards just like in this kind of uncomfortable way of like showing that like of this kind of like uncertain unfinished kind of note but there's clearly more to tell here but at the same time it feels right because you know even after all this not everybody's going to be completely perfect at each other like so it's just like it's a really clever film and a really fun film and i really enjoyed it and i especially as well like wait scenes like when um we meet the, the torturer like in the two thirds mark there and it starts off as this kind of doddery kind of comedy kind of thing. Like, you go, think, oh, it's a... But then, like, through one Guy Ritchie monologue, and you can tell it's a Guy Ritchie monologue just in the yeah. way that it's written, but, but it slowly comes down to a kind of, this is not going to be fun at all. This is what, you know, like, this is, like, evil war kind of thing. Like, the way that it's fun, but it always... It doesn't try to make, like, the stakes in that fun. Like, it realises there's actual, like, threats and consequences through war and such. It's a really tough balancing act to pull off, but it does. Kind mm-hmm. of kind of Kingsman-y in a way, now I think about it. Um, that said, it's not perfect. Specifically, um, the action scenes are fun, but they're also barely coherent. Like, like it's stylish, but at the same time, there's a lot of really close cameras and shaky cams. But do, do you not think that's because it's like a 12A? So they're trying to cut out as much of the, the violence. I mean, what I noticed in it was, that you know, when there's stabbings and shooting and... Yeah. It, there is a bit in there. You don't ever see anyone being stabbed or getting shot. And there's certainly no blood or any evidence to suggest someone's been badly injured in it. And I think yeah. that's partly so they could get to that 12A rating. Oh, yeah, no, I, I absolutely get that. Out, but at the same time, I, I'm just kind of sick of people trying to cut things down for like 12A audiences kind of thing. Um, as well. um, also, more annoyingly, is there's a frequent trick in the film where it will play a scene without dialogue, like kind of mystery kind of thing. And then of a kind of sense of like, yeah, the music will cue, cue you in to like what happened, facial expression about cueing what's happening. But then Richie will then go back to that scene barely two minutes later and replay it all again with all the dialogue there to explain to you in very great belaboured yeah. detail what just happened, even though 
it like it's it you it's already easy to tell what's happened like you can tell what happened there it's a bit audience and like a bit insulting of intelligence it was a, it was a bit apologetic i think because it it obviously felt like what he tried to do hadn't worked or yeah. perhaps the you know these expositional monologues were there to Especially sort of make not... up for the fact that people might not get it, which I think he did a good enough job of explaining with the actual story. He didn't need yeah. to put those in there. Yeah, but it's especially the last instance, like I've mm. just really, but because again, because then you're literally watching stuff you watched thirty seconds ago. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Other than that, though, um, I love it. I also very quickly want to make special praise to Daniel Pemberton's score, which is just amazing. That score is amazing. Yeah, you know, that kind of like sixties like wood flutes, toe tapping kind of thing. Like I, I actually I'm not gonna hear I've I've had the music that plays when we escape from East Berlin, like like on constant loop these last couple of days. It's just it's a <laughs> it's a brilliant score. Um and I want to make it praise because this has been a great year for scores though, if nothing else. You know, Sean Machine, Inside Out, Big Hero Six, uh, Mad Max Fury Road, this like we're just getting loads of brilliant individualist scores going on here and I like that. I'd like to see more of that, thank you very much. Okay, uh, finally then, Callum is going to review Pixels. Pixels is the latest Adam Sandler film, also starring Kevin James and Peter Dinklage, and is about um, aliens sending computer games to kill us, um, which is riffing off a Futurama episode. Actually, no, it's based on a uh, short film, uh, animated short film from a few years back. The guy who made the short film has nothing to do with this film, by the way. Um, I, do, I hope he was compensated enough here, because... Uh, <laughs> Right. So, Pixels it fails as a movie. Like it has absolutely, it makes no narrative sense and has plot holes you could drive multiple cement trucks through. It fails as nerd bait because it's openly contemptuous of the very people it's supposed to be targeting, and it is horribly misogynistic tripe of the highest order. What would you like me to start with? You start. Go for the tripe. Yeah. <laughs> The misogynistic tribe. Yep. Okay, um, right. So, let's begin here. Uh, first off, let's talk about Ludlow Lamanzoff. We need to talk about Ludlow Lamanzoff. Ludlow Lamanzoff is the character played by Josh Gad, who incidentally has officially used up every last semblance of goodwill he had as Olaf from Frozen now. Like, I said, he's officially on my shit list as of now. Um, the film incidentally starts in 1982. Um, with Adam Sandler and Kevin James being best buddies, going down to arcades and then going to arcade championships, um, which are being filmed as part of a capture that will go up and be seen by aliens. Um, and there they meet Ludlow. Now, in the 80s, he's a creep. Like, like he's a social he's, he's a basement-dwelling nerd lives with his nan, and also has a crush on a fiction video game character called Red Sonia. Uh, uh, arcade game. And when nobody's looking, he likes to talk to her about how he's planning, about how she's the one for him and he's going to love her and um instead because the 80s she can't speak obviously um he's a bit creepy here flash forward 30 years like to 2015 and instantly none of the characters change in like the 30 years this is another issue we're going to come back to in a minute um but it's especially about here because now he's still living under bed like with his grandmother um and believes that um the Zapruder tape was edited because jfk shot first you know yeah like one of those instances of just shoving random nerd things together in the hopes that it makes a joke, even though it doesn't. Like, he's a, he's a paranoid conspiracy theorist, and he's still in love with Lady Lisa. He has a shrine for her and everything. He relates multiple times how he's tried to bring her into the real world so they can have sex, like, so that he can marry her. Um, and repeatedly knows how he's going to die a virgin. 
obviously, because nerds. Um, this is this is also going to involve a spoiler alert here right now, but fuck it, who's actually going to watch Pixels, am I right? Um, right. So, at the end of the film, when the aliens are invading the Earth properly, um, and they, you know, beaming down people like Frogger and invaders and that there to take people on, they beam down Lady Lisa, obviously, for, uh, like, like to fight, to fight, uh, Lord Lowe, because that's how narrative works. Um, incidentally, everybody, ex like, all the, all the other 80s characters are represented as 2D sprites, but, uh, Lady Lisa is portrayed as an actual, like, as the actress, like, in the flesh. Um, whereupon she tries to fight him, but he won't fight her because he's so madly in love with her and wants to be with her, and she is so opened up by this courageous display of love that she just drops her weapons and fight and turns to his side because of the power of love and all that shite. Um, it gets worse, believe me. Hang on here. Um, so then they fight aliens. Um, aliens go away, which means Lady Lisa goes away because you know she's an alien. Uh, then this leads to an ending where Josh Gad is very, where Lord Lowe is very sad because you know, he's lost his one true love. Um, like, yeah, we'll never see her again. At which point, Cubert, and I should mention here, um, Cubert is a trophy the aliens give to the humans after they win at Pac-Man, um, transforms into Lady Lisa. And then Lord Lowe gets to have sex and marry L L Lady Lisa and they live happily ever after. This is, this is, a, this is a family comedy, folks. He has he has sex with what was Cuba and is now a woman and who can't speak and so they he's and so woman is literally a fucking trophy for him. What what is the actual rating of Pixels? Twelve A. So it is a twelve A. It yes. definitely is. Yes, and then there's a one year time skip event as well to show that they've now had kids, which are all five mini Cuberts because somebody thought this was a funny idea. Um, that's start worse though. Then we have Peter Dinklage. Uh, who is Eddie Plant, who was introduced in the 80s as this champion razor kid who always walks around with two um, bikini-clad women by his side at all times that he snaps pictures of and talks about having hot sex with. Um, so, in the modern day, he's in prison, for reasons that really just make no fucking sense. Um, and Kevin James, as the president, is trying to negotiate his release. And he has some demands. And instantly, Peter Dinklage is really trying to make his terrible character work, but it just makes him look de desperate. Um, and Dinklage's demands are a stealth attack helicopter, an island, to pay no taxes, and he wants a freeway with Serena Williams and Martha Stewart in the, White in the Lincoln bedroom of the White House. Um, which he gets. Initially, the film walks back on this, because Serena Williams actually turns up as herself as well, um, and it seems to very much play on the fact that Eddie is a self-involved dick who obviously doesn't deserve women. But then at the end of the film, he saves the world, and lo and behold, there's Martha Stewart and Serena Williams in the Lincoln bedroom ready to have sex with him. Again, women as trophies, with no say in the actual matter. Um, then, of course, there's the Adam Sandler character, who is, you know, the Adam Sandler character. Mm. You, you know, he's you know, the kind of person who just sits around negging women all the time. Um, this time, the thankless role of his love interest being Michelle Monaghan. Um who rebuffs his advances when he tries to kiss her in a cupboard, which lately is 15 minutes after she finds out that her husband is getting a divorce from her. Um, and then, you know, then she rebuffs him because, oh, you're such a stuck-up bitch, and nerds like kissing better because we appreciate it more. And then he continues to be a dick to her the entire movie, but she just slowly warms her way down to because, oh, maybe he's just such a nice guy, you know? And as is an Adam Sandler movie, of course he gets at the end. So, again, it's just, like, that kind of just, like, actively going out of its way to minimise the role of women, and especially to make... And especially in the case of many of them, just not giving them any lines of dialogue. Jane Krakowski is here as Kevin James's wife, and literally her role 
is just to hang off his arm. Like she gets no dialogue, just to hang off, hang off his arm, smiling and being the hot wife for him, you know. And, uh, this is this is just um, like expected, though. Um, no, no, no. It's not just expected. It's the way that, especially in the first act, the way it dried itself even further into like this misogynistic like ball here. Like there's a difference between like entourage and misogyny where it's just expected here, but here's like actively going out of its way to be awful. Like, like so there's that. Um, so it's horribly misogynistic. We've got that, as I probably explained there. Um, the film itself as well is just awful though as well. Like it makes no fucking sense because you see the thing is none of these characters grow or change at any point. Like they start the film as like terrible dicks essentially, like self-involved nerds, you know, who are, who believe in like who are just kind of jerks to each other and kind of thing. But you think that's to be a place for them to grow and change over film. Like maybe Ludlow would stop being such a paranoid sex, like sexist jerk bag kind of thing. Adam Sandler would stop being Adam Sandler kind of thing, but they don't. Like, they stay, there's no character growth or change or any point for anybody in this film. They all stay as they were at the beginning of the film, and they end the film the same way they were. Like, they're just rewarded for being, continuing to be terrible, awful human beings. Um, which then leads to the issue, of course, not, is that there's no, is that this film ends up meaning nothing. Like, there are no stakes. Um, like, I mean, there are world-ending stakes, but who gives a fuck about those, right? It, like, there's no characters, like, there are no character stakes. There are no... Um, like there are no character stakes, there are no theme stakes going ahead. Like there's nothing. There's no character. Nobody changes. Nobody grows. It's just terrible people being rewarded for being terrible people. So there's no growth at any point of this film. Um, there's and then there's also a lot of other things. Like why mention that the 1982 um, like the, like the arcade championships, the prologue takes place in, are being filmed with a space shuttle like to go up thing. If it's not actually going to come back at any point, like the shuttle comes back, but the fact that it's these specific people who, you know, like, who played these games and who, um, like, essentially gave the footage off to the alien, like, that the aliens misinterpreted as war kind of thing. Why mention that if you're not going to do anything with it? Um, why do, like, there's a bit near the end of the film where Hubert mentions that the aliens were actually a peace-loving race until they saw the um, probe and decided that they needed to come to war to defend themselves, which could, you know, make things more, like, which you know, is information. Specific information to make call out here, by the way. Like, they could make the whole film more, like, more morally ambiguous, you kind of thing. Like, maybe you resolve your finale with words instead of violence, like, talk things through. But nope, nope, just going to fight the aliens, beat the thing, like, because the aliens are bad and evil. Um, and then you've got many other, like, specific little things as well, which prove that nobody gives a shit about video games as well. Like, why in the Centipede game are the humans the, the, like, the, like, the humans the good guys, but in the Pac-Man game, they're the ghosts? Like, why that? You don't throw a mallet, like you don't throw a mallet to kill Donkey Kong. Why is Cubert here but not speaking in Cubertese? Um, what is Professor Iwatani doing here at all? Like, what's the entire point of that? Instantly, it's not the actual Professor. <laughs> the, the actual Professor Iwatani is in the film, but he doesn't play himself, which leads to a, I don't even fucking know why. Uh, like, why do he, does he pretend that Pac-Man is actually Pac-Man? Like, why do they all pretend Pac-Man is Pac-Man even though they know it's aliens? Like, what's the point of that? Why are fucking why is cheat codes in our why, in this film, can cheat codes be played in arcade games? Why can that happen? And why is that a major fucking plot point in a movie that's supposed to know it's shit? Just, like, it's, it's fucking, like, it's awful. It makes no sense. None of this makes any sense whatsoever. Um, so, so to sum it up, basically. You didn't not- like it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thing like it's like I'd say it's the Big Bang Theory of movies, but the Big Bang Theory is at least four people. Like this hates its target audience, which bewilderingly is not children. Like like you'd see video games with Pac-Man about it. You think this would be a film made for like family doing, but it's not for them. 
I've had yeah, I mean, had too many sex. Some... I've had too many sex jokes and gay panic jokes and that they're running around for it to be for kids. And it even hates like the eighties, like like the people who grew up in the eighties playing these games. Audience, that it's supposed to be targeted at as well. Like we've just constant nerd jokes. Yeah, I mean, right. com- com- comedy's very subjective anyway. And I know there are people. I know people who like Adam Sandler films, and I don't think of them as lesser people or. You know, I don't think of myself as superior. I don't think I'm more intelligent or they're less intelligent because of the type of films that they like. But I just I can't understand why people yeah. like those like, films. From everything that you've, you've described, it just doesn't it doesn't appeal to me in any shape or form. And I, I can't understand how people find it funny. I get people do, and that's fine. That is absolutely fine. People can laugh at whatever they, they want to laugh at, whatever they think is funny. That's their prerogative. But it, but, just, yeah. it just sounds terrible. Yeah. But like, this is the thing as well. Is that, again, like, it's not targeted for any of them. It's like, mm. why, what it is targeted to is Happy Madison themselves. Like, I figured it out. Okay. This is a self-insert fan fiction about how amazing Adam Sandler and Kevin James and Chris Columbus and that are, and how if and how like they're squandering nerds kind of thing. But if and tell people the world would just give them one chance to prove themselves, they'd see how great they are and they earn all the riches and they're amazing and have women throw themselves at them, which is best encapsulated by a scene late in the film where um, Kevin James is the president, which is already self-insert fan fiction enough here. Um, and at the start of the film, he is hated by everybody um, for more. You know, it's given off in like random bits of dialogue. Like he's driven the economy into the ground, put him in a war, nobody wants. But he just wants to spend time with his wife away from this media. You know, he's just such a nice guy, and can't everybody get off Kevin James' back? So I'm tired of the alien war turns, they're winning. And there's a scene where Kevin James holds a press conference to all these reporters who are all gushing over him, you know, like, you know going over things of how great he is. And one reporter stands up. And asks a question with a lot of big, like, you know, like big complicated words. And it's been made a thing of that Kevin James is illiterate in this movie. Yeah. Like, like asking this really tough question is supposed to trip him up. To which another journalist gets up and goes, hey, stop with that. You're just asking him, you just said a load of big words that he didn't understand to make him feel bad. And all the journalists pile on this other guy. And then Kevin James says something witty. And everybody laughs at this journalist who asked him a tough question who is now crying really bad because he was a hater and he's been thoroughly shamed. Like, you could not get more self-insert fan fiction than that if you tried. Like, this is literally just a film to stroke their own fucking egos more than anything else. And, and um, it's not it's yeah. not Entourage bad, um, but it's damn close. Like, it's like it Pixels is the kid that tries to microwave the, pet, the family pet hamster. Like, it's actively just doing this for its own attention. It's being actively awful for your own attention there. Uh, which I can't really get angry at. Whereas Entourage is just the oblivious worst person ever. Like a person who just walks around everywhere being terrible, completely oblivious to how terrible they are kind of thing. But like Pixel is just, this is just fucking awful. And I, I am so glad it's failing. Well, fa- well failing in air quotes. Like in, in Hollywood accounting terms, it's failing. And thank Christ, because good fucking Lord. <sighs> well, that's Pixels. Uh, On to our recommendations for the next week ahead. I'm going for film four, uh, twenty. Uh, sorry, uh, twenty to one on <laughs> in the morning <laughs> on Thursday. It's the Evil Dead. Nice, <laughs> nice. Have I just taken your one, Owen? No, well, I've gone for um, well, basically, film four are having a fright fest season at the moment. They're showing lots of horror films over the next week or so, and immediately before the Evil Dead is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original 1974 version, um, which 
absolutely terrified me when I saw it. And I saw it as an adult. That was the first time I saw it. And that's one of the scariest films I've seen as an adult. They're having a bit of a... So they're having their fright fest season. They're having a run. So obviously you've got Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Then really early in the morning they've got Evil Dead. Then you get to Thursday sort of lunchtime. And they're kicking off with the original War of the Worlds there. Uh, yeah. That's followed then by Mr. Popper's Penguins. Bit of a break in yeah. between. Yeah. But they've got stuff like Evil Dead 2 is on. They've got uh, Blood on Titan's Claw, which is quite a cultish sort of British folky horror. They've got Sinister, uh, Shutter Island. They've got quite a sort of varied mix of, of, of horror films on throughout the week. So, yeah, have and a look Mr. at your Popper planner. Penguins. And, and Mr. Popper's Penguins. Hey, 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 that movie is terrifying, I'll have you know. It's terrible, but... Yeah, yeah terrifyingly terrible. Yeah. Like okay. I, I watched it, I was like, no, Jim Carrey's coming here, don't go down that floor. <laughs> uh, Callum, what are you telling us all to watch? I have a horror film of my own. It's, I have a horror film of my own. It's called The Doff. <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. No, uh, The Doff finally hit Blu-ray and DVD this week. Um, I'm pretty sure I was on a po- I was on an episode of a show, like of this podcast, when I talked about it about there. Yeah. Um, yeah, and as to talk about it, it's, really, it's a really funny high school film uh, with a fantastic Mae Whitman performance, and it's really worth checking out and also because i'm not going to be on a podcast in time for it to come out but again 7th of september faults um directed by riley stearns and starring leyland also and mary elizabeth winstead will be getting a uk release thanks to alarm film alarm studios so got on your calendars it is one of the year's best films um i cannot oh, okay. wait i cannot wait for it to finally cross over here okay um so that's it for this week's uh, podcast uh, next week, though, we have got a return to the Corridor of Praise, haven't we, Owen? We do. And it was going to be Christopher it, Lee. It was. It ain't no more. No, it's, he's been bumped by... The, the spiritual successor to Christopher, Christopher Lee. In many ways, I'm sure, yeah. Um, he's just waiting for his big break as, as Dracula. That was one of the roles we didn't discuss for him when we, we, we were trying to come up with him a while ago. But it's Danny Dyer. He's finally getting inducted to our corridor of praise. I mean, this is why I left this site. (laughs) You, you may, you may mock Callum, but he has definitely got some genuine acting chops, and the choice of films that he's made might not necessarily suggest that occasionally. But he's he's got some very good performances. in various films. And we will talk about them all next week when we're going to be joined by Paul Field. And we've got some special guests, Steve. We do, yes. You've lined up, or Paul's lined up a couple of uh, of friends and colleagues of, of Danny Dyer to uh, contribute to this special occasion. Yeah. So it should be quite good. We should have a laugh either way. Uh, think, how about um, an active kill? Is Danny Dyer any good in active kill? I've not seen active kill. Uh, admittedly, but you know, Human Traffic, one of his earlier roles, he was very good in. Um, I've watched him recently uh, in Doghouse. That he was good in Doghouse, playing the sort of typical wide boy sort of Essex lad. But he was good. But, okay, I'll, I'll take I'll take your word for it. Save all this material for next week. Yeah, we will. But 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 basically, Paul has watched every Danny Dyer film. Every feature film with Danny Dyer in it, Paul has sat and watched over the yeah. past six weeks, I think. And, and Danny Dyer <laughs> follows us on Twitter. He follows us on Twitter. We're one of the 467 follow- people he follows, I think. Okay, then. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. He, it, was, it made my weekend when we went to that Foul Critics meet and he sort of 
tweeted us back and retweeted us and it was brilliant and then followed us and I, I was over the moon so of course Danny Dyer had to be inducted to the corridor of praise yeah he acknowledged that. your existence precisely yeah that's all we asked for uh, so yes Callum has now got his own website up and running uh, where he reviews films and stuff like that so Callum why don't you tell people all about your website yeah, it's callumpetch.com. I write a whole load of new articles. I will eventually get to stocking up that archive with everything I've ever done, which will be over the last five years of writing about films and also occasionally video games on the internet. So that'll be fun. I just need to stop seeing WordPress, uh, blank WordPress pages in my sleep. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's callumpetch.com. Bookmark it. Tell your friends. Um, again, loads of new articles going up every day and also you'll get straight links to all my screen one episodes as well which you can listen to on whole fire radio from time to time whenever we're on it's summer <laughs> it's it's summer it's awkward right now but yeah campus.com okay the failed critics podcast is presented by steve norman and owen hughes created by james diamond with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com